Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Andrew McClelland, who is a good friend, an excellent comedian, a DJ and all-round sort of excellent activist, old-fashioned in the best kind of ways. We had a chat about uh, chivalry, we had a chat about the universal basic income and the value of humanity in in a way which sort of relates to his religious upbringing and and my ideas about about what it takes to be useful in the world. I'm coming up to the last two shows of the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. It's been a really interesting run. It's been a r- bit of a wrestle this sh- this show to get in get in uh, the kind of things that I want to get in without overloading the show and it's it's been so lovely to see some of you coming along to the shows both to the good ones and to the more difficult ones. You're helping me build something that I hope I'll I'll uh, be able to take t- to uh, Sydney, Perth, and Edinburgh, and London in the coming months. If you're in any of those places, come along and see it. And uh, next year, I'm hoping to do the trilogy. I think that might be one of the reasons why I struggled with this show is because I'm thinking of it as the third in the trilogy that's made up of Savage, The Resistance, and Empire, and I'm hoping to do all three next year as a sort of an artistic experiment to to do them back to back on the weekends all three in a row and then every night of the week do a different one hoping that uh, you would come along and see that and be interested in in that kind of larger arc that runs through the three thank you everybody who signed up on patreon patreon.com slash alice fraser is the place to go if you want to read my blogs you can do that for free or if you subscribe you get access to the occasional one dollar blog post if you can't afford a dollar a month, then uh, email me on alicerfraser at gmail dot com, and uh, we can figure something out. There's also there if you sign up for the five dollar a month subscription, you get access to the full download of the Resistance, which is my solo show from last year. Oh man, it's been a long festival. I'm I'm very I'm very happy to be towards the end of it, but I've enjoyed it immensely. And I will be in Sydney from the 4th to the 8th, in Perth, I think, from the 11th to the 14th, something like that. And then after that, at the end of June, I'll be in London through July. And then August is Edinburgh, as as we all... You know, when, when people say Edinburgh, they mean August now. In, in the comedy community, it's an interesting thing, to the point where someone can say, no, 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 in e- during Edinburgh, I'll be, in, I'll be in Adelaide or whatever. It's a... It's a fascinating little linguistic loop in this very small community i don't know if you can hear but i am quite tired if you, oh, oh i wanted to say thank you so much to everybody who has uh, been giving me such lovely feedback mainly on twitter for the bugle episodes that i've done in the last couple of weeks it's been really really lovely I've, I've been a big fan of that show for many years and it was such a delight to be asked to be on it such a surprise and such a fantastic thing to do i really love working with Andy Zaltzman. (laughs) He is uh, just one of the most prolific comedy writers and such a fun person to work with. I feel very happy that I was given that opportunity and all of the people who've said they wanted to see me back have just given me an absolute thrill. So thank you if you're one of those people who who tweeted at the Bugle and said that you enjoyed what I did. It's made me very, very happy indeed. (laughs) I'm going to stop rambling at this point and, and let you get on with listening to my chat with Andrew McClelland. We sat in uh, the QV building in Melbourne and we had, uh, I had a green tea, of course, uh, but just a bag tea. It wasn't the best in the world. It was a little bit tanniny. And Andrew had an almond milk latte, which is the most Melbourne thing I can imagine. 
but uh, I'm not going to hold that against him because we had a really interesting chat and I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed having it. I will see you next week. Until then, bye. And uh, what are you drinking? Oh, hello there. It's Andrew Noel Paul McClelland. Uh, Very good. Paul being my confirmation name. Not an official one. It's certainly not on my passport. Uh, but it's in your heart. Is it, though? I don't really subscribe to it anymore. Confirmation names. Is, I mean, you know, I was raised Catholic, so I had to get one. And I read a comic book about Paul, uh, St. Paul. Um, but now I despise him. He's the truly sexist saint. Oh. Uh, the comic book was racy and fun, and, you know, he's converted on the road to Damascus and all that, as, as you'd know, Alice. Yes. Uh, um, Damascus, a fine city, or used to be. Yes, yes, I suppose. I've never been, but, you know, I, I should Google it now. I'll, uh, yes. Um, but, yeah, Paul was then the one who started writing um, stuff. Uh, his letters are the ones who have been interpreted to be homophobic and give all those Christians the basis for their homophobia. Uh, which I believe is a very unchristian way to be. And also, um, he was also quite sexist. So, could that I change it? That's an interesting... I mean, when you were confirmed, yeah. first of all, two things fascinate me oh, about confirmation this story. is so young anyway. Did you believe it when you were confirmed? Were you a believer? Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah. I mean, the odd thing about confirmation is um, it happens far too young, in my opinion. It's mm. when you confirm that you are ready to become a member of the Catholic faith and... Some saint, I can't remember a name, in medieval France, as I recall, um, she w- uh, wanted to become a Catholic earlier than the prescribed age of whatever it was at the time, 25 or something. Yeah. And she said, look at all this knowledge I have of the Bible. And so then the, you know, all the priests got together and said, oh, yes, this girl is smart enough to become a Catholic at a very young age. Um, but then they sort of forced it on all children. And the exception became the rule. Yes, exactly. And it, it does seem a very unfair exception simply because uh, at, at 10 or 12 or whatever age it happens, you're still very much under the influence of your family yeah, and the you church and all that sort of thing. haven't quite developed critical thinking. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so here is uh, my tea is arriving and your coffee with almond milk? Yes, it's an almond milk latte. Uh, oh, thank very you so much. Melbourne of you. I mean, obviously. Well, yes, indeed. The latte a misnomer when it comes to almonds, but nonetheless, it will be delicious, I'm sure. The other thing that fascinates me about that story is that there are comic books about uh, the the Christian... What are they called? Uh, uh, saints? Saints, the saints. The saints? Well, officially, um, he is a disciple because supposedly... I mean, we're getting into theology here, but supposedly Paul saw Christ on the road to Damascus. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm pretty sure I've got this right. It's either the disciples or the apostles, but I'm pretty sure it's the disciples who are the ones who actually met Jesus. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and although Paul didn't actually meet Jesus in his life, in fact, Paul started life as Saul, a man who persecuted Christians, then... That's a- bad pseudonym if you go from Saul to like oh let me put my name in disguise they'll never know they'll never know <laughs> <laughs> yes my that's why I want you to call me Bandrew crazy. from now yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> oh we, we came up with the same joke yeah, well done very good us. bright minds think alike um, uh, yeah, comic books yes uh, so there were Christian. so my father had a number of comic books called Eagle Eagle Comics and they uh, were firstly British comics from the 50s, but my father was buying this, the British and the Australian version. He kept them all. And when I was a young fellow, about eight years old, he gave them to me and I read all of them. And they were very much a 50s aesthetic. I mean, maybe it started me on my journey to being a, something of an anachronistic fop because they're all PC-49. very dapper, yes. Well, th- well, not today so much, but thank you. Well, al- always. You're, you're always, you know, one of the few men around who wear, manages to wear a three-piece suit and also not be a sexist. Oh, wow. Uh, well, I try. A, an unusual combination of person. 
Well, I, you know what? That, it always disappoints when people think that. But I think you're right. I just wish it well, wasn't you know, that people, way. People who are hearkening back to a better time when men were men and men hit women. Oh, I suppose so. Yeah, you because I love classic style and that kind of thing. Uh, I think... But you're quite a modern thinker. Oh, certainly, certainly. It disappoints me that more people of my age aren't. And also, I was thinking about this today as well, about the sexual revolution. It just I was, saw a show last night, um, Hannah Gadsby's brilliant show, that made me think about that. So the sexual revolution happened in the 50s and 60s and 70s, and, you yes. know, the idea was, obviously, that... Combination of washing machines and uh, contraception. Well, indeed. And, and the, the problem that I have with the sexual revolution, I was thinking about this, is... Uh, so it removed those old-school values of, you know, men don't take up all the art armrests and don't spread your legs everywhere and that sort of thing. Stuff that we see as classic frustrating masculine sexism, mm. unthinking sexism today. Once upon a time there were rules that you shouldn't do those things. Yes. And those rules were removed by the sexual revolution. And I watched Don's Party, the famous Australian play. Um, and in that, the sexual revolution has happened. Men are allowed to have sex with women and, and so on and so forth. But it seems to have happened completely without feminism because it's just men... Le like being so sleazy to women and tearing off their clothes at a party and being, aren't you liberated, you know? Why don't you want to have sex with me? What's wrong with you? And I think that the baby boomers, so proud of their revolutionary ways once upon a time, it's one of their biggest lies to say that they liberated women. I mean, women only liberate themselves anyway, obviously. But you know how men are like, oh, the sexual, re the sexual revolution didn't happen for women at that time. It happened for men to take advantage of women. Yeah, I think it's an interesting thing. I read an article earlier today, and I'm going to write a, my SBS article about it this week, sort of panicking about the fact that this generation are, is having less sex. The millennials are having less sex, blaming it on, you know, various things, uh, classically, you know, video games and and uh, having other hobbies. But the, the interesting thing that this article was positing was that it was men's fear, modern men's fear of being accused of rape, of, of being pushing, of being aggressive, oh. because this, you know... You know, lefty hysteria from women about uh, consent. This is what the article was proposing. And I think that's fascinating because I don't think it's a bad thing that men should be afraid yes. that they might be rapists. I mean, I understand if they're worried about malice on the part of women, but I think it is it is good occasionally perhaps for men to to feel maybe slightly disempowered in the sexual realm if it, that something's been taken away from them, which is their absolute right to... Uh, mm. consent or sex and so on and also I don't think it is a bad thing that people are having less sex I don't I mean I, there, it's this weird thing now where we've gone you know through this uh, sexual revolution mm. but more sex isn't necessarily an absolute good no absolutely and consent must always I mean the biggest thing in an absolutely is this odd fear of consent or whatever is consent must be established and people should understand that I mean that's the other thing yes yeah, is it why would people worry that people are having less I mean sex is great people should have more sex yes I think certainly consent um, but people should have less reluctant uh, ambiguous gray area sex. definitely yeah and I think if, if and I think it's not hard to establish yeah <laughs> but that this kind of oh stay at home and watch pornography and play video games is a poor second best to sex because there is a risk for men now that was never present before that they might be punished for their sexual activity which hello welcome yeah absolutely <laughs> you know that fear was what controlled women's sexuality for many years the fear of pregnancy the fear of reprisals the fear of of being you know witch hunted for mm. your sexual activity and now that part of that burden is being shared but far be it for men to ever have to worry about anything 
Yes, I suppose it is. Yeah, it is interesting being a three-piece suit and actor because I sort of actively do love a lot of old school stuff, but the, the, never the values. There is that classic. <laughs> there's that classic sort of. Uh, you call them the miladies, the people who will tip their hat to you and yeah. then end up being absolute sleaze balls. Mm. But you managed to skate past that by being generally lovely and. Thank uh, you. I was very kind of you. You sort of make. I mean, I certainly don't want to turn this podcast into the Andrew McClellan Praise Fest as much as I've enjoyed it so far. <laughs> I'm launching <laughs> that one next week. Oh, excellent. Could I ever be a guest? Can I get on it? Yes, yes. yes. Only if you constantly praise yourself. Oh, which well. might undermine your likability in the eyes of my audience of Andrew McClelland fans. The irony of it all. <laughs> oh, well, the best I never go on it. So what have you been uh, wrestling with of late, or do you have any bandwagons that you want to ride into oh. Tea with Alice Town? It was very kind of you uh, to ask that question. We did mention this episode briefly before. The universal basic income is something I've been reading a lot about and really getting into. Yeah. I do love having a bandwagon or two. It's good. Um, so... During the Republican debates, before Trump was the big man Mm -hmm. uh, that he is now, when, oh, back in those heady days when we imagined that it would never happen. Anyway, in those Republican debates, they had, you know, those, remember, they had tons of candidates. They had something like 10 people on stage. And um, the uh, convener was asking about the uh, possible hike to the minimum wage, which Mm. had been proposed. And all the Republican candidates were against it. Yes. And Trump made the point that. you couldn't raise the minimum wage because robots... That would mean that it was more af- affordable to get robots in to do jobs than it was to employ people to do it. And, you know, I thought, what a typically Trumpian, indeed, Republican answer to completely ignore the humanity of anyone involved and to say whatever the profit margin is is justified. The robots are coming, Alice, yes. no matter ha- what we do about it. The nature of capitalism is that it will choose the most economically efficient outcome. It certainly will. Um, and the robots are coming, and so they will become cheaper, and then they will become far more economically viable. Yes. And there's two ways that society could deal with this. Uh, employment will be less, and so far we have based society on the thoughts that employment is the be-all and end-all, that a person is nothing without their job, and what they contribute to society is through their job alone. Mm. This is all lies, of course. It's all fucking bullshit. Yes. So what we need is a universal basic income. The, when the robots come, it does not have to be a dystopian horror world in which the top... 1% who own the robots and control everything then receive all the wealth of the robots while the rest of us are ground into the dirt more and more. It couldn't be a robot-based utopia. Robots can build houses, they can work on farms, they can make us our food, they can give us our shelter, leaving the humans to do what? To live, to live, to join choirs, to pursue things that are good to help others. Yeah, this is an interesting thing. I think a really salutary sort of uh, base of reading for this would be 1800s Industrial Revolution literature, where it was projected that with the coming of factories, this would happen, that, that people would become free to, to live in a basic utopia, to, to, to have all of their basic needs met, and then to be able to relax and, and contribute to society in artistic ways, in intellectual ways. And that's not what's happened. What's happened instead is people are working harder and more desperately. Like, you've got people whose whole, like, the pinnacle... I don't know why I find this so profoundly depressing and no insult to any listener whose job this is, but that the pinnacle of their career might be to be the social media manager for Woolworths. Yes, indeed. That is a a job that is built on air, on air, on air, above a basis of... Now, it it is a job that could be fulfilling. Some people may love it. Yes, and but we it shouldn't is. judge them for it. But by the same token, <laughs> it's not a job. It shouldn't be the pinnacle of your life, by no means. When yes. 
uh, there's so much that life is. It's, yeah, I mean, it, it's not an... Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say necessary job. It's a job that is, is built on a feeling that we have that people should be employed more than anything else. Mm. And, okay, and society has been built on that feeling ever since, I think, Puritanism came in and said that in God's eyes, the only worth that anyone has is through the work that they do. Because that's, a, that's not an old-school Catholic attitude, not to... I mean, religion doesn't have to come into this, but Tom Hodgkins, Hodgkins, Hodgkinson has this wonderful, two wonderful books, How to Be Idle and How to Be Free. And one point that he makes is we have this idea of medieval serfdom as drudgery, non-stop drudgery. Medieval serfs working for their lord or whatever only worked two out of every three days a year. At least a third of their, day was holiday, uh, third of their year was holiday. I mean, part of that was because there were times of the year when you couldn't farm because yeah. it was winter and so on. But we think of that as a terrible time, whereas now we all work five days a week, and eight, nine, ten, eleven-hour days, and some people work so much more than that. And more than that, in countries like America and often in the third world, which is an unfortunate but accurate parallel, country, uh, there are companies that have more power over the lives of their employees than the government does. Yes. If the government demanded things like access to your private information, uh, control of your personal relationships, things that companies without hesitation will take as necessary parts of your employment mm. it wouldn't you wouldn't consider yourself a free man but these corporations with no no democratic uh, election have this power over human absolutely. beings and their lives job interviews where people have to give up all their social media stuff and um all those piss tests yes, to make sure people tests. haven't smoked mar- that, that that americans have to do where they want you to be on welfare or work in lower paying jobs ceos have to do piss and they can go through your bag and all of this stuff. This is it, like this is not a free man who has to do that or yeah. a free woman. This is a this is a an incredibly um, fascist sort of controlling. It's, it's awful. So, I guess because well, I still haven't brought this up in the context of all this, the universal basic income, the idea that a human being is worthy simply because they are a human being and have the intelligence, have the soul, which in, in at space is a very Christian. I mean, I didn't mean to talk about religion here, but to bring it back, I am not so much a religious Christian so much as I am a follower of Jesus Christ, which, I mean, it's my interpretation. I know that right-wing Americans would be like, oh, well, you know, Christ uh, hates pacifism and hates homosexuals and all that sort of thing. I believe that Christ loves pacifists, turns the other cheek, wants us to give away our belongings and gives a very, very difficult, very left-wing message. But (laughs) the universal basic income is the idea that we all should receive money for being humans and being alive. A basic income. An income enough to let us live. It doesn't have to be too fancy. Just simply enough for food and for shelter. And with the robots coming in, this is absolutely possible. We could all have the basics of life provided to us. And I agree. If you want more, if you want a mansion or a fancy, fancy car, yes, work for it. Fair enough. But human beings are worthy as they are. And therefore, if we could have this basic income, gosh, society could be so improved. If you have a family, you could spend time with your family. You don't have to be away all the time. You could spend time in your community. You could spend time helping out at food kitchens or or joining choirs or just doing things that make you spiritually not wish to top yourself. Anyway, it's something I've been thinking about for a few years. As a slight diversion, I used to do a joke about um, uh, that thing where people 
say about childcare that women will do it because that's their natural thing that they're going to do that and obviously they shouldn't be paid for that because that's part of the order of nature mm. but just to like the joke was basically flipping that on the head that, that men will you know compete for status and wear suits and you know try to outfancy each other that's their natural urge you should pay it's women for child, childcare and they should give their men little allowances to buy <laughs> ties or suits or whatever will make their little happy hearts happy in their pursuit for but I mean, obviously, that's a, a desperately flawed joke. But the idea that, you know, if you count up the amount of unpaid labor and you put a yeah. price on it, it's a very expensive job that's being very underpaid. Absolutely. Well, you can't underpay more than not paying. Yeah. And the reward <laughs> is hormonal satisfaction. To be kept. Yes. Isn't that the reward? Yeah, to be kept. And God. so to have that not be a factor in people's decisions, I think, would absolutely change the structure of society. Mm. Gosh, Alice, I worry they haven't been funny at all, this podcast. No, 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 this is not never meant to be a funny podcast. Good. It's meant to be a wrestle in the dark with the thoughts <laughs> that plague you. Uh, it's not, not at all a comedy podcast. Oh, good. Think, I feel that I... so far as I talk to a lot of comedians, m- mainly because I think they're... F- many of them are free thinkers. Oh, right. Is that what way? I am? A free yeah, th- I think you're well, a free thinker. Tr- if you see ever articles about UBI... Um, uh, because the Greens have proposed it, and, uh, you know, I suppose one should... I, I love the Greens, I'm a member of the Greens, that sort of thing. I should reveal that. Um, the arguments against it are so passionate, yeah. but in my mind so flawed. That they're just So many of them are just basically, if you don't work, you're not worth anything, mm. and therefore this idea will make everybody lazy. Well, bring it on. Make us... I'd, oh, laziness is a beautiful thing. I think some people naturally wish to work. And the idea of the UBI, it's not anti-work I at think all. everybody has an urge to a certain extent to create. I think even people mm. who sit around uh, playing video games all day, th- those are goals being achieved. I mean, they're not, they're not goals that have outcomes for other people. No, yourself, for anybody. But th- you're, what they're tapping into, what Facebook and all of those things, all of those sort of addictive, compulsive, useless, unproductive things are tapping into is our urge to accumulate, to build. You know, you, you don't just tweet to nobody. You're trying to get <laughs> likes. You, all of Absolutely. those things are actually a perversion. Accumulating Gamer achievements. Yeah, they're, they're, they're a perversion of quite a natural but productive urge to make and, and, and build mm. and, and get. And I don't think that's going to go away. Yes, yeah, so I, I kind of think there'll be 5% of the... No, I have no idea what the percentage will be. There'll be a group of people who will never achieve anything if they, they were given are. this. Yeah, but they already are. Exactly. And the, other si- the only sort of downside that I could imagine is if it's not if it's not sort of regulated by big government that inflation would take over if everybody had a universal basic income then you would be able to you know then if you get $200 a week then a chocolate bar will cost $200 or you know what I mean I do that that would become so you'd have to have some sort of either controlling of the prices or mm, which uh, comes under communism and yeah, so on it which sort of starts to get a little bit sort of handing out food stamps so that you make sure people are paying you know at least getting food food stamps instead of money yeah 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 and maybe look that's the thing and that become that, i feel that that's greater minds than i i'm sure have better ideas on this yes i'm very shallow when it comes to this notion i'm yes. very excited by it uh but i'm sure there are excellent arguments against it already Yes, that, but that doesn't mean uh, I, I, I'm I not excited it about exploring an intellectual idea. I like it. That that's really the only sort of flaw I can come at is the kind of the greed of people and the competitive instinct that would render whatever the universal basic in, income was sort of uh, invisible or 
or make it ev evaporate in value, unless what you did was base the universal basic income on whatever the price of salmon was that week, if you know what I mean. Yes. That it had what, to be keep indexed. raising it. That you'd have <laughs> to sort of have, you'd have to have a, a template for the basic requirements of a person mm. and, and index the payment to however much it would cost to and keep you alive. Again, these ideas have tr been tried and failed mm. in uh, socialist and communist countries. Ha, I mean, ha, well, more communist than socialist, actually. There's some wonderful socialist countries out there that work pretty well. Although I guess they're not hard socialists. I'm, I'm picking it hairs here. Yeah. Uh, but... It has an appeal to you, and you think it's almost going to happen? Do you think it's necessary, or that it will happen? I think it must happen, and it must happen... Look, obviously, we've got to be smart about it. We've got to do it properly. It must happen if we are to avoid the sort of um, dystopia that I think the coming of worker robots... Which sounds so science fiction, but as you know, it's not far away. That yes. that will bring us. We must think about this hard. My other worry, I mean, I used to think, well, if if the top one percent treat us appallingly badly, we could all revolt. Mm. The other thing, but you know, perhaps if they bring in police robots that can destroy us yes. <laughs> quite effectively and oppress us effectively, then perhaps. Well, it's also difficult now because it's hard to. We don't have such. We, we don't have sumptuary laws. It's. Mm. Unless you have access to sit someone's bank accounts, you can't tell if they're the one percent, and even if you do, you can't tell if they're the bad one percent. <laughs> yes, you know, very there's true. There's plenty of uh, wealthy people who live, you know, moderate, kind, and pleasant lives. It's, mm. it's oh, of course. Maybe it's every, you know every third CEO up against the wall. I don't know what your revolution would look like because well, how would you? How I don't want to put anyone up against the, the wall, Alice. I just want to bring them down a peg or two to our level. I mean, an when I say our level, I live a very happy, comfortable life. I mean, an interesting, an interesting experiment would be, I think, to get rid of inheritance entirely. Oh, of course, the Thomas Piketty notion. I think that's an interesting one because it then requires somebody who wants, which is a very human, natural urge to care for your children above the needs of other people's children. Absolutely. That's the idea of making capitalism pure, making it true. But then you'd have to make the world better for your children to be in rather than... Well, you couldn't make the you couldn't guarantee a better world for your children. I mean, I think there's definitely something in removing the inheritance laws. Then capitalism will be real. All those people who fetishize capitalism could have it still. The only thing is they couldn't pass on because all those people who argue they're self-made people, the loudest being Malcolm Turnbull and Trump, as we know, both of them were given millions and millions by their parents. They're not self-made men. They were made by their fathers and their grandfathers. If they received no inheritance, where would they be today? Certainly not in the positions they are. So, yes, remove inheritance. If you want capitalism, make it pure. And let's see how we all stack up against each other. Of yeah, course, then pure Piketty's meritocracy is pure a very meritocracy. depressing idea if you've ever been in a room where you're not the smartest man in the room. And I you suppose have, so. You know, at least <laughs> on one vector. Piketty's argument is, of course, you take the money that people would have inherited and instead you put it into the state. So there are still strong state programs to help out the people who aren't the smartest and aren't the best. It doesn't become a pure meritocracy. It becomes um, meritocracy where those who are the smartest can get ahead and get ahead quite well. But the rest of society is not left behind because all that huge amount of money, if you're accumulating wealth, you're accumulating it so that once you die, it's given to those who are in need. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Of course, you would have these kind of things where very wealthy people would give their children better educations, better access to opportunities, at least while they were alive. I suppose so. You'd have to 
we'd have to run... The, I mean, better education in the public school system is something else I'm passionate about. Yeah, or well, before you die, they'd give you a $100 million gift. Like, there are various things mm. that, that would get in the way. But oh, I think you'd remove the opportunity to give a $100 million gift to a child. Uh, <laughs> but yes, I think that that's an interesting... Um, it's an interesting sort of idea because I think it throws into, into light how much people do rely on their parents successful people certainly many of them are coming off a wave that's yeah you know building up behind them yeah and not all including you but know me. the big politician ones we see now oh and including me i was given an absolutely excellent education threw it all away to become a comedian but yeah yeah but i um as was i but i certainly and i became a comedian too but i think Good education is the absolute right of all. It shouldn't be a privilege. Mm. We were privileged enough to receive one, but it shouldn't be. We, I mean, you've got to fund education. It's the biggest thing at all. You, got to, you want to keep a society down, traditionally you remove the education. Yeah. Make people dumb. Yeah. God, we, not only do we need great education, it needs to be revered. The scientists and the artists, not us necessarily, not, but, but it must be revered. The, the culture that we have developed in the world is such a beautiful, incredible thing. That's why I, I was always enamoured with that American system of university whereby before you did any other degree, medicine, law, anything, you had to do an arts degree. An arts degree wouldn't teach you to learn, that's all. It would teach you to learn. Yeah. And we all must learn to learn. Yeah. Yeah, this is one of the th problems that very bright people have often is that they pick things up so quickly that they don't learn how to work hard. Yeah. Which is a brutal sort of and crippling advantage. But then again, is it... You know, I would say, just to go back to the old point, there's nothing wrong with not working hard. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. I, I was having this conversation with Ivana Ristigeta, who's an excellent comedian, the other day, and he was saying, you know, he can't, he can't, he's been reading about people's last words, and often they're about having wished they could spend more time with their family yes. and, and the people around them who they love. And so his current pursuit as a single man pursuing comedy and giving people joy in sort of a fleeting, temporary way. He's wondering if that's uh, bringing himself joy but not making deep connections with other people, not building a family, not building that kind of connection. He's wondering if that is uh, a valueless enterprise. Uh, and, of course, this argument, which I firmly believe in, is that, of course, it's not. He's bringing joy to so many people. Yeah. But uh, say he was just drawing and just drawing for himself and bringing himself joy in that way and no one was ever going to see the drawings. How would you feel about that? Would I'd that, have nothing against it. Would that fall under your categorization of sort of spiritual enrichment? I think so. It's personal spiritual enrichment. And, and valuable It's keeping for him that? happy. Yes, absolutely. Again, it comes back to the idea that all humans are valuable simply because they exist. Yeah. Uh, and we are not the value of the work that we complete for a better society, but we are valuable as we are. Yes. Um, which is why, I, again, I have nothing against the person who sits in their house playing computer games for all of their life. I think they're still worthy enough to be kept alive perhaps we don't give them everything perhaps we don't give them a limousine but let yeah. them live let them pursue their happiness i also believe that after a while they will emerge from that room or ivan drawing on his own in his room will emerge um i think there will be some people who have deep social anxiety or whatever so don't emerge from their rooms but i also think mental illness will be far less common if we are all valued as humans simply for who we are I and we don't slave at the altar of worth equaling work. Yeah, I Sorry. think it's. I think I, I'm sort of torn on this because I think to a certain extent my kind of Buddhist upbringing kicks in here, and I think you are what you do, and if you include uh, thoughts as action, 
that you are as you behave and as you treat other people and as the influence that you have uh, extends. I think that is, that's the um, sum of a person to a certain extent. I realized, I had a really nasty realization about myself because I was brought up um, with contact with people of all different classes and ethnicities and I never thought that I was a snob. And then I read an article by a, a man with Down syndrome as translated or sort of facilitated by his father to mm. articulate the feeling of moving slowly through the world where everyone else was moving quickly and how left out that made him feel. And, and I realised that I had for quite a long time pretty unconsciously had a class system in my head of intellect. And then, you know, that day where you wake oh, sure. up with a, with a cold or a hangover or you're exhausted and you go into your classroom or your workplace and you're moving slower than everyone else, you don't feel less human for that. You don't feel less valuable for mm. that. And that was a nasty shock about my kind of, I don't know, what, what would nowadays sort of slightly vomitously be called privilege. But my prejudices or my uh, oh, yeah. snobbery, I, it was a bit of a shock to the system, that one. Oh, yeah, and it's so easy to be snobby about that sort of stuff in that, when we say the intellectual levels, that kind of thing, uh, about thinking, I, because I'm on the left and I want the best for everybody and I believe this is how it's achieved. Yes, it's intellectual snobbery in that I'm like, if we could impose the kind of government I want, it would be better for everyone. And I genuinely think that, by the same token... I do think that I'm better than people who only want to, who only want to tax the poor, who want to remove all education, who want to suppress women. Yeah, but then you look at things <laughs> like, you know, in terms of intellectual snobbery, you look at things like early childhood stress, which mm. markedly drops your IQ ongoing through life, and after yeah, about right. the age of six, if you don't get a kid before the age of six, that stuff beds in, and you cannot change somebody's. <laughs> for want of a better word, intellect, so that you can't change their ability to learn or absorb new information or think critically or think laterally. All that stuff has a lot to do with whether your childhood is safe and stress-free, which is why you have these kind of terrible cycles of people who are you know, yeah. poor and stressed out you know, and, and the risk of whatever gun violence in the community is measured uh, in direct correlation with IQ points. Mm. Which Is it really? Yeah. Yeah, right. Whereas if you take kids from that kind of dangerous community and you, you know, move Although them. Yeah. We should acknowledge at this point that IQ is a deeply flawed system oh, anyway. Of course. <laughs> it's, br it's brutally flawed and, and I don't I don't know uh, how to fix that, but as a proxy for at least functioning at a high level in this particular society, it's decent enough. Um, yeah. I don't know. There's no conclusion to this. There's not meant no, to be. No, of course not. We're not going to um, solve the world's problems right here. But I do like the idea of giving everybody money to, and everybody to working just be less a to be a human being, to acknowledge the value of humanity, to stop punishing people because we perceive that they are lazy or whatever. Um, yeah, and and it's interesting that you, as you say, you find value through the works that people create. Yeah, I not even the work, the impact or the influence. I would, I would rather find value through the personal happiness and self-respect that they have. Yeah, but I think of that as a kind of a product as well. Okay, cool. Yeah, A product of work in mm. the way that you can, you know, if you don't have a chemical imbalance of some kind, you can make yourself happy mm. with work or you can, you can think positively. You can, you can 
by becoming angry repeatedly groove a path into your mind that makes anger easier and easier to access yeah. or vice versa you can you can you have choices over that kind of stuff and you can build yourself in a certain way Anyway, I think you have to go, don't you? No, I'm afraid I do. I have to get to a show. This has been absolutely delightful. Where can people find you online? Oh, um, okay. Uh, Facebook, Andrew McClelland. Um, that has my music and my comedy things on it, on my normal page. Uh, Twitter, it's uh, Andy McClelland. Is it dot underscore? I should know these things off by heart, shouldn't I? Just look him up. Look DJ him up. DJ Andrew McClelland on DJ Instagram. It's mainly pictures of me DJing and my crowds. If you and have jokes. a chance, if you have an opportunity in your whole lifetime to watch Andy McClelland DJ, it is like watching a dolphin in water. It's the uh, epitome of joy. It's one of my <laughs> favourite things to watch in the world. And I put that up there with like sunsets and like beautiful cliffs over the ocean. It's Thank a really you. nice thing. Oh, um, and yes, sign up to my Facebook like performers thing because I'm like, I keep getting oh, like I'm, ha- I'm nearly at a thousand. I want to hit a thousand. Yeah, this is it. You're you're <laughs> urged to accumulate. I know how awful. You're capitalist. I am a deep capitalist <laughs> after all. All right, thank you. You're having tea with Alice. Johnson, my son.